This program is sponsored by Save One More Now Incorporated. Hello, this is Jerry Hendricks. And Adrian Hendricks of Save One More Now Incorporated, where our focus is to lovingly confront all activities dishonoring human life created in the image of God. There is no greater dishonor to human life and to God than to bypass by ignorance or rejection His salvation that is only available through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us. Today's focus is for us who call ourselves Christians. The question for each of us is, what are we doing here? If you were to ask many people if they are Christians, you might get answers similar to the following. I go to church. Going to a church does not make one a Christian. I'm a good person. Being good, whatever that means, does not make one a Christian. I think I'm a Christian. My mom and dad are Christians. A person is not a Christian because their parents are or were Christians. I believe I'm a Christian. I do a lot of charity work. We cannot do enough good work to earn our salvation and become Christians. I am a Christian because I said the words to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. Well, that is an excellent start. But is the life truly surrendered to Jesus Christ? Has there been a change in the life since the confession of faith in Jesus Christ? Is the manner of life consistent with the Word of God? Without truly giving our hearts to Jesus, that is, accepting Jesus as Savior and Lord of our lives, we are not Christians. We may have said the words, but have our hearts changed so that we look, act, talk, and smell like Jesus Christ. We either carry an aroma of life or one of death. Paul tells us at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to those on the one hand an odor from death to death, and to those on the other hand a fragrance from life to life. Are we unashamed of our relationship with our Lord and Savior? When we enter a place, does the atmosphere change? Is it obvious that we've been with Jesus? Can it be said of us as it was of Peter and John? At Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were astonished and recognized them that they had been with Jesus. The Bible teacher Adam Clark says about this verse, Had they not had Jesus' teaching, the present company would soon have confounded them, but they spoke with so much power and authority that the whole Sanhedrin was confounded. Clark goes on to say, He who is taught in spiritual matters by Christ Jesus has a better gift than the tongue of the learned. He who is taught in the school of Christ will ever speak to the point, and intelligibly too. Is there evidence that we have been with Jesus Christ? At Romans 13, Paul shares what appears to be the bottom line of what Christians need to do today. Simply put, I believe it points to the relevance of Scripture for us and it points to the fact that the Word of God never becomes irrelevant. Besides this, you know what a critical hour this is. How it is high time now for you to wake up out of your sleep, roused to reality, for salvation final deliverance is nearer to us now than when we first believed. That is, when we first trusted in and relied on Jesus Christ, the Messiah. 
Let us live and conduct ourselves honorably and becomingly as in the open light of day, not in reveling, carousing, and drunkenness, not in immorality and debauchery, which is sensuality and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and make no provision for indulging the flesh, and put a stop to thinking about the evil cravings of your physical nature to gratify its desires and lusts. Have we clothed ourselves with Jesus Christ? Are we bold for Jesus Christ, or are we private Christians who don't want to have our cover blown that we secretly profess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives? To be bold for Jesus is to have fearless confidence and assurance in living out our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. The evidence of such a life will be recognized by those around us. Are we more of the private type? The word private means to not be publicly known, not open. Are we ashamed to let others know that we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Could it be that those of us who claim to be private are really what Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 calls the cowardly, the fearful, having a cowardly spirit and lacking courage? Because of the fear of man, we do not live out our profession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Are we denying Jesus in either word and or deed before men? Fearful people live lives of bondage and sin because they don't want people to know they are Christians. They have become cowards and are fearful that others may learn that they profess the Christ. They want to fit in with and look like the world. Jesus says at Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, Therefore, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies and disowns me before men, I also will deny and disown him before my Father who is in heaven. Being a true Christian and living it out is neither popular nor easy today. Walking with Jesus Christ will cost us, and it may cost us everything by the standards of the world, but it is certainly worth it. It is worth more than we would ever know. Being a Christian is an issue of the heart. The Lord looks on the hearts of everyone. He knows where we are with Him. Our outward appearances do not matter, but hearts do. In the Amplified Bible, Paul states at Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, and intelligent service in spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashion ether, and adapted to its external, superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in His sight for you. The Apostle Paul is begging those of us who belong to God to waver no longer and dedicate all that we are to God. After all that has been done for each of us, this is the only reasonable and intelligent thing to do. To dedicate, according to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, is to set apart and consecrate to a divine being, in this case, God our Father, or to be set apart for a sacred purpose 
to devote to a sacred use, for God's use. Why should we dedicate all that we are to Him? Because He loves us and gave up His only Son for us. Further, at Romans chapter 14, verses 7 and 8, we read, None of us lives to Himself but to the Lord, and none of us dies to Himself but to the Lord. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. The Bible teacher and commentator Albert Barnes states that the proper worship of God is the free homage of the mind. It is not forced or constrained. The offering of ourselves should be voluntary. No other can be a true offering and none other can be acceptable. We are to offer our entire selves, all that we have and are, to God. No other offering can be such as He will approve. The character of God is such as should lead us to that. It is a character of mercy, of long-continued and patient forbearance, and it should influence us to devote ourselves to Him. It should be done without delay. God is as worthy of such service now as He ever will or can be. He has every possible claim on our affections and our hearts. Why should we dedicate all that we are to Him? Not to do so, I believe, is to settle for that which is severely lacking in value and for that which provides no eternal benefits. It is important to remember we will all serve and give of ourselves to something or someone. So why not to God, our Creator, who knows all there is to know about us? I think often we forget who the one and only true God really is. Let's examine just five of His attributes and compare them with the gods that may be in our lives. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Jeremiah 32, verses 17 and 27, God is omnipresent, meaning He is everywhere present. Psalm 139, starting at verse 7. God is omniscient, meaning He is all-knowing. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. God is eternal, meaning there is no end to Him. Isaiah 57, verse 15. God is immutable, meaning He is unchangeable. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. When I compare these attributes of the one and only true God to the former gods of this world that were in my life, there is no comparison. Some of us may have had some of the same gods I had, money, power, status, material things, and many other trappings of the world. I beg you, as does Paul, to present all that you are to God. All means entirely, completely, everything. There is no greater joy in life than to make that eternal commitment to Jesus Christ and to truly live it out every second of every day. There is no one who can love and care for you as he does. Romans 12.2 admonishes us to not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after, and adapted to its superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in His sight for you. The word conform in this passage means to have one's mind and character fashioned according to the world. 
The word world means the ungodly forces or influences that are alienated from or have withdrawn from God, and therefore they are hostile to, adverse to, and unfriendly to the cause of Jesus Christ. Claiming to be a Christian, a part of the bride of Jesus Christ, and being friends with the world is so appropriately depicted at James 4, verse 4. You are like unfaithful wives having illicit love affairs with the world and breaking your marriage vow to God. Do you not know that being the world's friend is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world takes his stand as an enemy of God. Here we see where those who are supposed to belong to God are committing spiritual adultery. They establish relationships with the world to gain the goods of the world. Adam Clark says, How strange it is that people professing Christianity can suppose that with a worldly spirit, worldly companions, and their lives governed by worldly maxims, they can be in the favor of God or ever get to the kingdom of heaven. When the world gets into the church, the church becomes a painted sepulcher, its spiritual vitality being extinct or having ceased. Are we actually friends of the world? Are we so-called good Christians on Sunday, but fit like hand and glove with the world Monday through Saturday? Many of us today are caught in the, but I thought, world based largely on what the world wants you to believe to be appropriate for today. We are told by many that the mixture of the world and Jesus is just fine. The actions in a, but I thought, world are largely contrary to the word of God, and without a decisive decision for the Lord and true repentance, love for the, but I thought, will send you right to hell. The antidote to this, but I thought, world is always, but God said, God has said in his word to follow me, and so we are without excuse. We all must realize the enemy is playing for keeps and is pulling out all stops. To be a Christian is not viewed favorably today, and many want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. The enemy will stop at nothing. One demonstration of this is a sign that has been at different pro-abortion demonstrations around the world. If Mary had an abortion, we wouldn't be in this mess. The world is feverishly working to eliminate Christianity, and we who claim to be Christian are helping through our lack of obedience to the Word of God. If you want to know what does not come from God, don't look to the world, but to the Word of God. If you want to identify counterfeit currency, you study genuine currency. The same principle applies for us today to know the truth. Study the Word of God. Don't look to the world, but look to the Creator, the one who created the world. We are living in a time of great confusion, but none of what is happening today is catching God by surprise. As Christians, we cannot afford to be silent or passive. It is past time for us to get under the banner of Jesus Christ. The question is, what are we doing here? We are not called to just exist, but to honor and glorify our leader, Jesus Christ. We are each marked with a specific calling. What is yours? If you do not know, you need to go to the Lord and find out. Not all of us have the same calling, as God has no cookie-cutter approach here. We have each been designed for a specific and divine purpose. Paul tells us at Ephesians 2, verse 10, For we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship, 
recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he has prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Many Christians want to live for a long time, but are not diligent to ensure that they are fulfilling the Lord's calling on their lives. With long life, we also pray for great health and that all our physical and material needs are met according to our desires. Why? If we are granted our desired requests, what difference, if any, would be made in the kingdom of God? Remember, we were created for His purposes and glory. Is God glorified through our lives? According to the Word of God, we are to live full lives that are decisively dedicated. As we already read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that does not always equate to a long life here on earth, but we already have God's guarantee of eternal life. We are called to be faithful to Him. So what are we doing here? Ask Him what He wants you to do. The world is waiting, and the world so desperately needs true Christians to be true Christians. This is described at Romans chapter 8, verse 19. For even the whole creation, all nature, waits expectantly and longs earnestly for God's sons to be made known, waits for the revealing, the disclosing of their sonship. We must reflect Jesus Christ in all that we do. Many so-called Christians have swallowed worldly ways hook, line, and sinker. Many support and silently provide their approval for things that oppose the Lord. Those doing such things without demonstrated repentance may spend eternity in hell. Some of these people are in our sphere of influence, and we must ask the Lord what to say to them. The motto, live and let live, does not apply here. You see, these people are in motion, but they're not living. They are not living, but they are in danger of eternal death, being forever separated from their Creator. As followers of Jesus Christ, we cannot afford to be silent about the things that matter to God. Every human being matters to Him. We are all made in the image of God, regardless of economic status, geographic location, skin color, denomination, or belief. According to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German Lutheran pastor and theologian, Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Let's be clear. The pursuit of Jesus Christ is our individual responsibility and is not to be pawned off on someone else, not even our pastor. We are instructed to seek first and above everything else the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We have no righteousness of our own. In Matthew 6, verses 33 through 34, we read, But seek, aim at, and strive after, first of all, his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, and then all these things taken together will be given you besides. So do not worry or be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have worries and anxieties of its own. Sufficient for each day is its own trouble. So are you seeking, aiming, and striving for his kingdom and his righteousness? In seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, all the things of God must have first place in our lives. Remember, we're not our own. Paul tells us at 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 and 20, 
Do you not know that your body is the temple, the very sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, whom you have received as a gift from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price, purchased with a preciousness, and paid for, made his own. So then honor God and bring glory to him in your body. What are you doing here? Are we ready to stand before Jesus Christ right now, today? What will he say about our lives? Tomorrow is not promised to us, so we need to be in a constant state of readiness. We are to be in the blink of an eye, people, always ready. Let's be honest about it. Most don't make plans to die on the day their time on earth is finished. Are you ready to stand before Jesus? And make no mistake about it, we will all individually stand before the Messiah and give an account for the life we lived here on earth. So are you ready? We need to be ready or get ready now. When we leave this earth, we could be asked what we did with what was entrusted to us. You may ask, what do you mean? What was entrusted to me? Let me list just a few suggestions. Our lives, his temples, our bodies that are to be used to his glory. Are they being used for his glory? Our talents. How has the Lord, our creator, gifted us? Are these talents being used for his glory? What about our many opportunities to reflect and share Jesus Christ? What about our uniqueness that is evident in God's creation of us? Is that being used for his glory? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to instruct, comfort, and direct us? Is the Holy Spirit free to operate in our lives? We may also be asked what we did with what we knew. Did others benefit from our knowledge or did we keep it to ourselves? How many are either in heaven or are heaven bound because of us? We are all saved for a purpose, and we, as the redeemed of Jesus Christ, are to emulate Jesus Christ. Our salvation is not to be kept to ourselves, but rather to be shared with people in our sphere of influence. We Christians have a responsibility to share Jesus Christ. We are each outreach ministers. We all have a testimony to share that tells of God's goodness to us and His salvation for us. We are all on a rescue mission to save people from the sure judgment and eternal fire by pointing them to Jesus Christ. As Jude 23 says, Strive to save others, snatching them out of the fire. On others take pity, but with fear, loathing even the garment spotted by the flesh and polluted by their sensuality. How much of God himself will he see in us when we stand before him? Children look, walk, act, and often have interests similar to their parents. Is that true of us? Are we interested in those things that interest God? Or do we look, act, and share the interests of the many gods of this world? We will stand before Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior of the world alone, not with friends, family members, pastors, or teachers. We will each stand alone, yes, alone. Romans 14, verses 10 through 12 read, Why then do you criticize your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For all of us will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As certainly as I live, declares the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will praise God. Consequently, each of us will give an account of himself to God. We are each responsible for what we know and what we do with what we know. According to James chapter 4, verse 17, 
To him, therefore, who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. If you have never accepted Jesus' invitation to change your destiny from death to life, it's not too late. You can receive this most precious gift of life Jesus offers to all. If you believe in your heart that Jesus died for you and God raised him from the dead, simply tell him so. However, if you are not a Christian and have heard something that makes you want this God who created you and loves you, please know that he sent his sinless son, Jesus, to pay the blood price for the offense of sin so that we all might live with him forever. Without Jesus, we cannot make ourselves clean enough for a holy God. But if you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, he gives you the power to choose him and his ways. And his Holy Spirit has the power to make and keep you clean. If it's been a while since you accepted his invitation and you have lapsed back into sinful ways, it is not too late to repent. That is, turn around and ask him to forgive you and give you the strength to follow him with your whole heart. If you are following Jesus now, don't stop. Continue your relationship with him steadfastly, patiently. At Luke 21, 19, Jesus says, By your endurance you will gain your lives. Jesus also said at John 8, 51, Truly, truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. You see, Jesus will never die again, but our faithful and constant submission to him is needed for us to realize his promise of everlasting life. To help us with this, God's Holy Spirit teaches us Jesus' ways and gives us power to live out his life. As Christians, we are responsible for following the inward leading of Jesus the Messiah. In this way, that which is truly good in us will be the result of the presence of Jesus in our hearts. Paul describes this at Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ the Messiah lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We at Save One More Now Incorporated encourage all listeners to seek the Lord for His calling on your life. If you are faithful to spend time with Him throughout the day, you will come to know without a doubt that He really loves you and He has a purpose for your being here. You can hear this message again on our website at saveonemorenow.org. We can be reached by email at truelife at saveonemorenow.org or our telephone number in the United States 850-727-0493. We look forward to joining you next week and ask you to remember, Life is good. God gives life. God is good. This program was sponsored by Save One More Now Incorporated.